Well, it's uh, great to be back at high ground uh, and have an opportunity to speak again. Uh, I'm uh, not a preacher. Uh, I'm a witness for the Lord. And God says, uh, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. And uh, wherever you go, be a witness. So uh, I wasn't always a witness. I always believed in God. And then... uh, in, uh, I'd been baptized uh, is when I was after World War II. My dad came back to, and we came back to South Carolina, where I, I was born in North Carolina. And we came back to South Carolina, and I went to the Baptist church with my parents. My twin brother and I got mar- uh, married. My twin brother and I got uh, baptized, and uh, we were really good little Baptists. Uh, and I had a lot of Jesus here, but nothing here. So the older I got, uh, the more the Jesus left, if you will. And uh, so I, I was uh, 15 years old when the jet age started. Saw these contrails up there. I said, man, it'd be great to make a contrail. So I went to the Naval Academy and fell in love with airplanes and uh, instead of ships. And back in those days, there wasn't, a, a, there wasn't an Air Force Academy. So they would allow 15%, no, 25% of West Point and Annapolis to volunteer for the Air Force. So I had a choice, Air Force uh, flying or Navy flying. They gave me a physical my senior year. We called it first class year. And that physical, the doctor said, Mitch, and Duke, you have astigmatism in your right eye and you don't qualify for naval aviation, but the Air Force will take you. So... <laughs> So in I went to the Air Force and became a, it's 1957. And uh, I was in flight school, had just soloed uh, when uh, uh, Sputnik went up. And first satellite, beginning of the space race, beginning of the space age. The Russians had us, I'll tell you. We were uh, 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 way behind. And so, uh, uh, I graduated flight school, went to Germany for two years, uh, no, three years, and that was from 1959 to 62. And uh, during that time, I was a fighter pilot, and the space program started in the U.S. in 1959 with NASA forming and the first group of astronauts, seven of them, uh, the original seven, they were called. And uh, I, I, I said, well, I, you know, that must be a pretty exciting job, but I was just a you know, first lieutenant, not enough experience, they not go pick me. And uh, so I didn't think about it very much. In April 1961, Yuri Gagarin went up, first human being in space. Right after that, uh, Alan Shepard went up, 15 minutes. Two weeks later, President Kennedy announced we're going to go to the moon by the end of 19... 19- 69. Hoo-ha! Yeah, sure, President, Mr. You know, we could barely get them off the launch pad. Now we're going to commit to the moon in eight years and two months. But was the the amazing thing about it was uh, eight years and two weeks, two months later, I'm sitting in mission control talking to Neil Armstrong when he landed on the moon. And it was, uh, we did it. And uh, the great engineering prowess and, uh, of the U.S. and the hard work of uh, all the industry uh, built a great program, great rocket, a great uh, 
command module, great lunar module. And we had, in Apollo, we had six successful landings on the moon, and I was number six. No, I was number five, a fifth landing <coughs> on Apollo 16. It's, uh, <coughs> you, you heard I was the youngest man that walked on the moon, and, and I'm 87, and I'm still the youngest man to walk on the moon. <laughs> so... We hadn't done too much since Apollo, at least to the moon. Well, I think we're about to change that. And uh, so many of you haven't heard my testimony, but uh, I, I, so I'm going to give you a brief summary. Uh, then I want to talk about several things the Lord's put on my heart. Uh, after I was 37 after Apollo, at the end of Apollo, I, was, I finished up his backup crew on Apollo 17. John, John Young said, why do we want to do that? I said, John, they might break their leg and we get to go again. Let's go volunteer for that job. And so it was a dead-end job. They didn't break their leg, and so Paula was over. Now, 37, and that now it's, uh, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I mean, I was at the top of my career. Twelve of us walked on the moon, and I'm one of them. And now, at 37, what are you going to do now? Big question. Most of us in the space program and uh, moonwalkers had that same problem. What are you going to do now? I tried staying at NASA for another couple of years, uh, but uh, three years about, working on space shuttle, but it wasn't the same. So I decided to leave NASA. Well, that frustration in my life led to a lot of problems. Uh, there was uh, marriage problems. There was family problems. Uh, everything like that was just coming to a head. And by 1975, uh, we're steaming full sport speed towards the rocks to divorce, and uh, Dottie was on the verge of suicide. And her life and marriage and our marriage was falling apart. And uh, so we were in church all the time, we went to a little church in Laporte, Texas called uh, St. John's Episcopal. And uh, it was a you know, small congregation. And, but the one weekend, the church uh, had what they call Faith Alive. And they asked about 10 couples who really knew Jesus to come and share their story. And they came and shared their story. And as a result of that, I mean, they glowed with the love of God and the and the power of God, and at the end of that weekend, Dottie says to, to herself, not to me, but to herself, she said, I've tried everything but Jesus. And she called on Jesus and said, Jesus, come into my heart in the privacy of our bedroom, and he did. And I watched her change from sadness to joy over the next two months. That was uh, October of 75 in January, I left NASA, resigned uh, my, from the astronaut office, uh, uh, went in the Air Force Reserve to finish my career, and uh, moved to San Antonio to become, start a beer business. I was a Coors beer distributor for a couple of years. And uh, it was great business getting it organized, staff, finance, and all that. But after you get all that done, it was nothing to do. So I just bored with it. So uh, my twin brother didn't think it was a good idea for a 
hero astronaut to be a beer distributor. And uh, so uh, uh, he was bugging me a little bit, and a lot of the people were. And so I, about two years, uh, uh, Dottie came, my wife, uh, she goes by Dorothy now, by the way. And uh, Dorothy uh, came and said, so maybe God doesn't want you in the beer business. And uh, I said, well, she said, why don't you pray about it? Well, I, I, I searched the prayer book, and there was no prayer in the prayer book about Charlie Duke going, being in the beer business. I said, you pray. So she prayed a little one-sentence prayer. Uh, God, if you want Charlie in the beer business, make it, give him peace. If you don't want him in the beer business, make it so miserable that he sells out. <laughs> well, six months later, it was really miserable. <laughs> but the money was better and better. No, I've got a choice. Chase the money or peace. So I chose peace, sold the business, and uh, the very next month in April of 1976, no, 78, uh, I went to a Bible study. We live in a little town called New Braunfels, Texas, and they have a tennis ranch uh, nearby, Nukes, it's called. And we had a Bible study that weekend at Nukes, walked through the Bible. And uh, it, we, we, it was focused on Jesus as is revealed in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And it was fascinating. And I got really intrigued. And we get over the New Testament, and, and uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to God except through me. Is that the truth, or is that a big lie? We get to decide whether it's the truth or it's a lie. It's either the truth or it's a lie. There's no maybes. What you gonna say, Charlie? And for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you believe in him, you will per not perish but have everlasting life. Is that the truth or is it a lie? Make up your mind. And a lot of other scriptures that weekend convinced me it was a truth. And I, and I opened my heart to Jesus in the front seat of my car after that weekend was over. And I said to Dottie, I looked over and I said, I was no doubt in my mind that Jesus is the Son of God. Come into my life, Lord. And I experienced the peace of God for the very first time in my life. So I started, I'd sold a business, made a lot of money. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Believe, believe the word. And so I began to read the Bible. And the more I read the Bible, the more convicted I became of the sin in my life. I get over to Ephesians, and it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. God spoke to my heart, said, You don't love your wife that way. I said, I know that, Lord, and I repent. Help me to love my wife as you love me. And he did. And so we began to build our relationship on the solid rock of Jesus, if you will. It wasn't easy, but it, a commitment is a commitment to Jesus. We, we've slugged through all of the trials, all of the problems, all the arguments and all of that, and God gave us a, 
a love for one another. And we realize the closer we get to Jesus, the closer you get to one another. I didn't feel like a sinner when I got saved. You know, I wasn't a murderer. I wasn't an adulterer. I wasn't this and that and the other. Uh, but I was a sinner. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Next thing, uh, I got over into uh, Proverbs. Started reading Proverbs, and it was, how did this get in the Bible? <laughs> These little one-liners, you know, and, uh, and uh, it says, uh, and I think it's the 16th chapter or somebody like that, uh, <clears throat> you can either curse or bless. And God showed me that I had cursed my own kids. Now, cursing in the Bible is not profanity. Cursing in the Bible, it says, son, you're stupid. I put a curse on my son. And he was becoming exactly what I spoke. Man, I was tears. This kid was like 11 or 12 at the time, older brother. And I went to him in tears. I said, boys, forgive me for what I've said to you. And I broke the curses, and I started blessing them as God wants me to bless our children, discipline our children, but not curse them and not discourage them, but encourage them. As they, and they begin to get closer to the Lord. And our family began to grow together in the Lord. And so watch what you say. Words out of your mouth can be blessings or curses. We can speak life or death with what we say. You can kill your church by the words that come out of your mouth. It's very dangerous with what we, can, what we say. And so the last one that I was convicted was uh, love of money. And uh, I used to tip God. You know, here's 50 bucks, Lord. And God started speaking to me, tithe, tithe, tithe. Man, that's a big check, Lord. <laughs> Made a lot of money when I sold this beer business. You sure? So I said to Dottie, I said, Dorothy, Dottie, I said, God's speaking to me about what to give to the church. Why don't you go ask him what we should go? <laughs> I'm get, getting out of this, see? And about... Uh, Two, months, uh, two weeks later, she came back to me and said, God spoke to me about what we give. He said, what did he say? Tithe. <laughs> well, we started tithing, and I tell you, you cannot outgive God. He'll provide for you if you just give generously to him and other ministries. There are ministries in here that we give to, and you just can't outgive him. And, and he says, if you give, you have a cup. He will give back, and the, the cup will overflow. And it's true in our lives. And so those were the three biggies. There were a lot of other things that uh, I can say. So I began to see God's handbook. The Bible is God's handbook for life. God sits in, and I read in, uh, I think it says Isaiah, it says, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Man, I've seen the circle of the earth on the way to the moon, at the moon, on the way home. There it is. 
And in the book of Job, it says, when God made the earth, he hung it upon nothing. Then that's what it looks like, isn't it? It's hung upon nothing up there. The Bible speaks the truth to us. And I'm, I've been in a lot of arguments, but wow, well, we never went to the moon. You know, it's been a big conspiracy. God, NASA was so stupid, they forget to put the stars in the sky. Well, dummy, the sun was shining. <laughs> the stars are there right now, but you can't see them because the sun's shining. Well, it's the same in space. You can see the earth, you can see the sun, and you can see the moon, and the rest of the sky is black, ink black, because the sun's shining. Well, I could go on and on and on on that. But God speaks the truth to us through his word. Psalm 119, no, Psalm 19, 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. There's not one language under heaven that doesn't understand. And I, I just have this question. God, how, do you, how does the star speak to us? Two weeks later, I get in the mail a letter from a Christian astronomer. God said, told me to send you this article. I, I've never met this guy. It's been 30-something years, and I've never met him. But the article was all about Christ and the stars. How many of you read your horoscope? Good, nobody does. Because <laughs> if you did, you're talking to the enemy. But God put Jesus in the stars. The horoscope starts with Aries, I think. But the Maserath in the Bible is that's the 12 signs of the zodiac. It starts with the virgin. First four, first four constellations of the Life and ministry of Jesus, the next four is us, how we carry out his, and the last four is his victory over Satan. And there's the archer pointing his arrow at the head of Satan in the sky. You can read about this. It's uh, a lot of books out about it now. But Christ, God speaks to us from the stars. I was in India on a ministry trip 20 years ago or so, and uh, they want, it was a fancy hotel, and we were over there with the Full Gospel Businessman's Fellowship, and uh, the, they wanted to greet me as an astronaut as one of their famous guests. So uh, she said, the uh, lady said, uh, meet me down here at, at at uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I said, fine. So I w showed up in, uh, in the lobby, and there's this uh, little, uh, this, this lady with this uh, porter, I guess waiter or something. He had a silver tray, and on the tray was a lay of flowers, uh, a lit candle, and a little jar of, uh, looked like red something or other. So she's coming at me, and she dipped that, her finger in that red stuff and started at me like this and go put that dot on my forehead. And man, something hit me and knocked me back like that. And she says, what is that stuff? She says, just powder, liquid. I said, ma'am, I can't take that. 
uh, she said, well, how about the flowers? So she gave me the flowers, and everybody's all happy. That afternoon, I was in my room, and there's a knock on the door, and I opened the door, and there's this little Indian guy standing there with a piece of paper. He said, God told me to give you this. And he gave it to me, and he turned around and walked off. I opened it up, and the one-page article was the curse. And that little red dot on your head, you've taken a subservient position to whoever the God it is that behind that red dot. God protected me. So we got to be careful, guys. And so of what the enemies at work, I think, all over and in a way that can, uh, can be deceitful. He is the biggest deceiver. So just take that little dot. It's in, 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 uh, innocent. So we started around our house and got rid of every item that could possibly be to take you away from God. And we've removed a lot of stuff over the time. Over the time. When my son Charles was 16, we were in a ministry trip to South Africa, and he stayed behind. Uh, he, he was falling in love with some, guy, some gal from Hatfield Baptist Church, and he wanted to stay for summer camp, so we left him over there. Well, right before we went, uh, we left, we, I went to Harare. Then it was called uh, Rhodesia, Salisbury, Rhodesia. It's now Zimbabwe. And this guy gave me, he had this big stone statue. It looked like a, I said, what do you call that thing? He said, it's a praying eagle, and I want to give it to you. Well, this thing probably weighed 25 pounds. So I said, well, thank you very much. So I didn't wait. I, I bundled it up, and I brought it home. And I put it up on the shelf of our uh, 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 house uh, in our family room. And uh, the, uh, the, as a result of that, uh, and then God sent down a guy named Ilie Koroama, who was a, a escape from Romania because of the persecution he was, had been under. And I, I, I would say he's a modern-day apostle, sharp. He's really, he's in his late 70s, 80s now. But anyway, he'd come, God had sent him every once in a while to teach us. It's amazing. So he's, we're, we're sitting there talking about something or other, and he looks up and says, Charlie, what's that? It points to this eagle. And I said, well, it's an eagle statue that I got from this guy at a church meeting in Rhodesia. He said, Charlie, God spoke to me. Get rid of it. So I took it, I took it outside, got my sledgehammer, and smashed it. Well, before I left out, the, the, the reason I smashed it was when our son, Charles, came home, and he walked in our house, a spirit of rebellion hit him. I mean, it was terrible. Well, Ilya came and, told, and said, get rid of that. And when I got rid of that and smashed it, the spirit of rebellion left our kids. So we got to be careful, man. Pray. Seek God. Is this right? God, what should I do? And so <clears throat> it's, it's our desire to 
follow God and to be the person that God wants us to be in our marriage and in our lives. Hearing the voice of God, how do you do that? I've never heard the voice of God in my ears. But I get these impressions. Lord, is this what I'm supposed to do? And I want to be obedient. If, that, if it's God giving me this impression, go, send me. As, as, uh, as Samuel said. And so I decide, well, how does the Bible do it? Well, Gideon says, God, if you're really speaking to me, give me a sign. And he put a, put a fleece down and said, be, let it be wet or dry, whatever it was, and the ground wet. And God gave him a sign. Well, I want another sign, Lord. So he got another sign, and God spoke to him through the signs. So we started uh, doing signs, at least I did. And also, there's other ways the Bible picks them. It's draw lots. And so we pray about a situation, so uh, like giving money to somebody, and we'll pray, and I'll come up with one figure, and Donnie will come up maybe the same figure, and well, that God spoke to us. If we disagree, uh, we put them together with a blank, and Dottie draws. We pray, and she draws one out. Sometimes it's a blank, so let's start over again. But sometimes it's, uh, it's we, we get, one of us gets it right just by what God speaks to our heart about. So there's a lot of ways that we've discovered that you can sense the price of uh, the, what God wants you to do. And, it, and I've done this a lot. Is it really you, Lord? My mom, this is 25, 30 years ago now, she said, uh, she wrote me a letter and said, or a phone call, and said, Charlie, could you go, could you pray for Betty? Well, Betty's my second cousin. She's in Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm in Texas. And I said, yes, ma'am, I'll pray for her. But I kept failing in my heart, go pray for Betty. That's 1,200 miles. And he wanted me to go lay hands. I felt like I was supposed to go lay hands on Betty. So I'm driving to Austin, and I'm thinking about this. And I said, Lord, if you really want me to go, have a big red truck come over the hill. There comes a big red truck. <laughs> well, Lord, it's 1,200 miles. I gave him some conditions. I got to come back to Houston and speak in two days. And if you can get me to San, you can get me from San Antonio to Charleston and back in two days that I can make my meeting. Lord, have another red truck come over the hill. There comes the red truck. So I jump in to get in an air, get home, get pack a bag, get in an airplane, fly to Charleston, go knock on the door, and her mother met me. I said Charlie, what are you doing here? I said God sent me to pray for Betty. Oh, well, let's pray right here. She's not, she's expecting a baby and she's about to lose a baby. So he says, let's pray. Don't disturb her. I says, her mother's name was Duda. Duda, I'm to pray with Betty. So we went in to her room and she's there with this, about to have this baby, but she's in trouble in the with the baby. 
So I said, Betty, God sent me to pray for you. And she started crying. She said, I didn't think anybody was listening. And she got saved, lost the baby, but she gets saved as a result of me showing up. So, guys, God gives you the impression, maybe you're so tuned that you could hear it. But I've never been able to hear it. So we have to, t- uh, we, there, we, there's just, I, I got three other, two other examples that I want to do uh, about this and, and how good, and what a sense of humor God has too. So we're in Australia flying around. If you've ever been to Australia, it's a big country like ours and you fly everywhere because there's not much uh, roads, it's big distances between cities. And so uh, we got on an airplane and said, Lord, put somebody in this seat next to us that we can be a witness to. Just give them a little track or something like this. So this young guy sits down next to us, and we start talking. And, and I, you could tell he was Australian by his accent. And so I said, uh, uh, where are you from in Australia? He tells me the town. And he says, you're an American, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, I know an American. One American. I said, for some reason, I played South Carolina. It's who do you know, South Carolina. So uh, I asked him, well, what's his name? He says, his name's Jack Russa. Jack Russa is the oldest son of my best friend in the astronaut office. So we talked to him. He gets up at the end of that flight and says, I'm not a Christian, but I know God sat me in this seat. Thank you very much. And he left. The next day, I'm, another guy sits down, and we're talking, and, and uh, he's an American, and we start talking about jobs and stuff. And I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a chemical engineer, and I work in the uh, dairy business in, uh, in uh, New, uh, New Zealand. And I said, it's a good job. He said, yes, yeah, a good job, but not the best job I ever had. What's the best job you ever had? I designed the Apollo heat shield. And I said, well, let me tell you, it worked great. <laughs> so, I mean, it's amazing. The adventures you see is you just open yourself to God. Be a witness. We're supposed to be witnesses. I had a, uh, I think I'll finish, but anyway, I, I have, I was, 20 years ago, I was, I was impressed that about UFOs, and I, and I just had, God didn't speak to me, but I just had this impression that UFOs are demonic, and they're real, but they're demonic. So I was sharing this, and people were hoo-hah and laughing at me. So I need a sign, Lord, is that what I'm feeling, is it you, or are you speaking to me? So I, I was traveling with this very spiritual guy named Newman, and, and I said, Lord, tomorrow morning at breakfast, have Newman Payton start talking about UFOs. We had never discussed anything about aviation, anything. So I walk into the breakfast, and he's sitting there eating. He said, Charlie, come on over here. I want to talk about UFOs. 
So in my opinion, UFOs are demonic. And the, and the idea of Satan is to deceive us, to take us away from the true, powerful God to these alien beings who are going to give us the real truth. So you can chase UFOs if you want to. They're real. I had a friend, had one, he saw one coming at him. He says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. Disappear just like that. So... Uh, there's, I could go on and on and on uh, about some things like this. I was in Venezuela one time, and uh, uh, we were going to fly from a town near Caracas to uh, the other side of Venezuela in a private airplane, and uh, we were going to leave the next morning early. And this phone rang, and this lady called, was speaking in Spanish to this my uh, escort. And he looked very serious about it. And he hung up his phone and says, what, uh, what are you, what are you, what's so upsetting? She said that she'd been praying all afternoon, and God showed her in a vision that the airplane was going to crash. Don't get on the airplane. So we got a decision to make. Do we get on this airplane to make our meeting or do we abandon ship? So I, I, I was praying and uh, the Lord just spoke, said, just open your Bible. So I opened my Bible and it fell open to Acts second chapter. And what popped off the page was I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoice. My body always will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. Now, that's for Jesus from out of Isaiah, I believe. But God used that spirit, that, that, that picture says, get on the airplane. And we got on the airplane and they put me on the radio over there and the Catholic bishop had said, this guy's a liar, that he's, he says he's seen God. And uh, he has, nobody's ever seen God. So he said, nobody go to that meeting. He's a big liar. So I'm on the radio, and the guy tells me this story. And as a result of that, uh, I said, I, I've never said that. Well, the, the bishop's secretary called and said, put me on the radio. We want to repent. And they said, everybody go to the meeting. And so we had a huge crowd came to that meeting. I'll finish with one story. Two minutes over, Randy. Okay. I was going down to San Antonio to a, a meeting at a downtown church, and I dropped my family off, and I went to park the car, and I was going to sneak in the side door, and sitting on the steps of the side door, uh, near this, this door was this drunken bum, homeless, and he really stink. And uh, it was about from me to you. And, and God spoke to my heart and says, go tell him I love him. God, I can't even get close to him. He's vomited in his clothes. He sleeps in his clothes. He's got a big hole in his throat. He's, and he's drunk. And, and go tell him I love him. So I, I couldn't get any closer because of the odor. Uh, 
and I leaned over and I said, God loves you. <clears throat> and he looks up and spits at me. <clears throat> and uh, about that time, the police rushed him off. And uh, I could get this guy off my mind. About a week or two weeks later, I'm back for another meeting at the same church. Drop the family off, go park the car and come back. And there's the same guy sitting there on the, port, on the steps. Go tell him I love him. That's an impression now. There wasn't a voice, but it was just an impression. Go tell him I love him. So I had the same argument with God. And, uh, and I said, Lord, I can't. And, and it was almost an audible voice. I can't. You can't, but I can. But I need your feet. And I need your hands. And I need your voice. Take me over there and we'll love him. I mean, when I said, yes, Lord, it was just this overwhelming love. And it was, it was the pure love of God for this guy that Jesus died on the cross for. He loved him. So I went over and picked him up and hugged him and said, God loves you. And he's weeping. I'm weeping. He throws a bottle of whiskey away. I take him any, after some more talk, I take him to a, a halfway house that I knew about, dropped him off, and they said, we'll take care of him. Three days later, he's gone. I search San Antonio for him, find him, take him back. That happened three times over the month. He sobered, but he sobered up. He, he became a believer, and he said, now he couldn't talk because it's whole, but he could hold his, I bought him one of those little, instruments that you hold your throat and he gives you this tinny voice and uh, he said my name's Leroy and I'm from Arkansas and I want to go home I bought him a plane ticket uh, not a plane ticket but a bus ticket put him on the bus said goodbye Leroy and off he went I haven't heard from him haven't seen him nothing but that day I experienced that first second meeting I experienced a pure love of God for someone that Jesus died on the cross for that looked like a drunken bum. There's a lot of opportunity, guys. And so we have to be obedient. <clears throat> Kelly talked about being obedient. And we're facing the enemy in every area. And we need to stand for the truth and this truth, the Bible is the truth. We can trust the Bible. The Bible says God made them male and female. There is no difference. I mean, there's a difference, but they can't be both. You can only be a male or a female. And our kids are facing a lie in school through this transgender stuff. And we've got to stand for the truth and speak out. So, it's a blessing to be with you guys. And thank you for, Randy, thank you very much for allowing me to speak again. And uh, let's go get them and stand for the truth and be a pillar of light and be a person that God can say, 
I want you. And let's respond, send me, Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for your power that is at work within us. A power that we cannot understand, Lord. But we're un leaky vessels. But stop us up, Lord, and help us to be filled with your word that gives us strength and love and power for our families, for our acquaintances, and for the world. For you so loved the world that you gave yourself that we might have eternal life. So we thank you, Lord, for your obedience. May we be obedient in every way that you call us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you very much.